Okay, so we are, we, we have been in the, the book of John. We started it a couple weeks ago now. Uh, just as a little refresher, the only reason I'm refreshing so much in this first chapter is because there is so much in it. There is a lot that we have talked about in it. But just from verses 1 through 18, basically, we saw in the intro, we saw that Jesus has always existed. We saw that He existed before anything existed with the Father, with the, with the Spirit. And we saw that all things have been made through Him. We saw that He is the, he is the light shining into all mankind if they open their eyes to see it. We saw that those who believe in Him can be born again of the Spirit, can be born of God. And that those that do receive grace upon grace from that Word made flesh. <clears throat> now there are plenty of things in Scripture, plenty of things in the book of John where, where Jesus shakes things up. And this is going to be no exception in this chapter, even as God works through John the Baptist. So, we're going to see John a little bit more here. Not John who's written the, the, the uh, Gospel, but John, John the Baptist. So, we're going to start at verse 19 through 22 here. <clears throat> this says, This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. <clears throat> and this is what he confessed. I am not the Christ. And so they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. And they said to him, Who are you? Tell us so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So, per the previous verses, we already knew that John was a witness. That's what it had said. But now we're going to learn what exactly he's witnessing. What his testimony really is. <clears throat> now, you'll notice starting here, and you're not going to see the end of it for a long time, that a lot of times you're going to see the Jews mentioned. The Jews. You see that a lot in Scripture. He's not talking about Jewish people. He's talking about the Jewish elite, the religious rulers of the, of the time. So when you see the Jews, know that that's who they're talking about. They're talking about not a people, but the ruling class in the religious elite there. So, and he's going to tell them, and he does tell them, that he's not the Christ because his job is always to point towards Christ. And you'll see how that happens here as we go through this. You can almost imagine that you know, John is down there. He's baptizing. He's got loads of people because he was extremely popular. And these people come up to him. And it's, it's interesting because you'll see in different uh, screen adaptations of it, seems like people take it differently depending on how they, how they think it possibly went. But what, what would his demeanor have been as he, said, as he said to them, I am not the Christ. Did he say it angrily? Did he say it almost like yearning for them to realize who Christ really was already? It's, it's something to think about as we go through this because this was not a small incident. There was lots of people watching. What exactly was the 
what was the, the feeling in that moment? And it's really important that this had been put into Scripture. It's not an accident that God put this here because in that time, and some people say upwards well past 100 A.D., there was a lot of people who thought that John was the Messiah. And they were teaching that to certain people. Now, it was either due to incomplete teaching from John to them, like they weren't around long enough, or you know, second party you know, hearing from somebody else, or somebody just completely misleading. But there was a group of people going around teaching that, that John was the Messiah, not Christ. So you can see why they put this in here, because it was very important, not only that he said it, but that other people would read this throughout the centuries. <clears throat> I want to read just a little bit of a proof on that, actually, I had. And we are going to cover Acts, but it's going to be a long time before we get into it, so by then it'll have been long past but Acts 19, 1-5, real quick, I want to really, uh, read in relation to that. Uh, it's not just extra-biblical sources that are saying that people thought this of John or had a different understanding. So, from Acts 19, 1-5, this is of Paul. Now, it happened when Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came into Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, On the contrary, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there was a different sect going around with an incomplete or misleading teaching on what was on who John was and what his actual purpose was. <clears throat> so the priests and the Levites they ask him, "Are you Elijah?" They ask him, "Are you the prophet?" You have to remember if you go into your Old Testament and you look in that last book that was there, there was a 400-year gap between then and the start of the New Testament. So 400 years where we see no new prophetic uh, things at least written down. Uh, so it's been a while. They've been waiting. And the, last couple ver uh, the second to last verse in the Old Testament said, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So these people were waiting for Elijah to return. They didn't know why when it was going to happen, but they were waiting. And so that's, it's not coincidental they would think that John perhaps was Elijah in this moment, especially considering the fervor that was going on around him. But John didn't want to take anything away from Jesus Christ in this moment, and he doesn't. In your Scriptures, though, um, as you read through the Gospels, you'll see in Mark and Matthew, that Jesus later does confirm that John is working, I guess you could say, in Elijah's place, in his office. He actually refers to him as, as Elijah in one spot. So we do know that this was the Old Testament being fulfilled per Christ's words on there. So what does John say to these people as, he comes to, as they come to him? This is 
this is really interesting here. So, verse 23 through 28 here, he says, He said, I am the voice of the one calling out in the wilderness. Make the, make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. And the messengers had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy even to untie the strap of his sandal. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing people. So instead of telling people, instead of answering the question outright really, of who he is, John instead says, what he's doing and who is coming. What he's doing and who is coming. So they do rightly ask him, why are you baptizing then? Why are you doing this thing here? So John was cleaning the place up almost in a way, preparing for Jesus Christ to come, for preparing for Jesus Christ's ministry to take effect here. When they ask him who you are, he's not even interested really in answering the question. Instead, he tells them what they need to know. But they wanted to know this for a very good reason. They want to know whose authority has sent John. Because as far as they're concerned, they're the authority. They want to know whose authority. John's doing God's work and he's getting questioned for it right off the bat. That is not something that's isolated to John. That is something that has gone on through the ages. That's something that could happen to you or me. You could be preaching the Gospel to somebody and someone could ask you, well, where did you get your degree from? You know, who did you intern under? Uh, you know, what denomination endorses you kind of thing? Well, how about the Bible and how about the Holy Spirit? Uh, seems to have worked throughout the centuries. So, I don't necessarily want to... There's plenty of spots in the Scriptures where you can come down on the, on the religious elite in Jesus' time. I don't know that this is necessarily that spot because of the fact... And this is something that I learned, and I sometimes it's hard for me to tell if it's something I learned or something I forgot. So, when we talk about baptizing here, well, let's talk about it for a second, actually. <clears throat> so, we've covered baptisms before. We've talked about how baptize, being baptized doesn't save you how it doesn't join you to a specific church or denomination. It doesn't cleanse you of your sins. But it is very important. Because in the New Testament context, when somebody is baptized, we know that that's an outward display of an inward change. That somebody is wanting to symbolically identify with Christ's death and resurrection, the death of their old self, their old sinful self, and the birth of of the new person. That new self that's identified in Christ. So we know that baptism is beautiful. We know that it's important. But we also know what it does and doesn't do. It was important in John's time as well. And that's why this verse, these sets of verses is kind of interesting. Because this was a different baptism. 
This was a very different baptism. So, baptisms in the Old Testament, especially around this time period, they were for Gentile proselytes, meaning Gentile people who came up to the Jewish people and said, hey, I want to become a Jew. That's what baptism was for. And it was, it was a self-baptism. Nobody baptized you kind of thing. You went and did it yourself. I assume they watched. And it was to cleanse yourself so that you, the Gentile, could become a Jew. It was only for them. It wasn't for the Jewish people. Okay? So they see John down here at the river baptizing people. Okay? They know what baptism is for. It's for bringing the Gentiles in. Bringing a Gentile convert in. But who was John baptizing? John's baptizing Jews. John's baptizing Jewish people. People who are not supposed to be baptized. And he's baptizing them for repentance of sins, which is a huge thing to be happening for them because they shouldn't have to do that according to them. So this is very strange. If you're one of the one of the religious rulers, and you come down and see John doing this, you see all these Jewish people lining up to go get dunked in the water, you're going, what is going on here? Have people gone crazy? This doesn't make any sense. So John's pointing them to the Messiah, and he is baptizing them, but his baptism is not permanent. It is washing them of their sins, according to the Scripture here, but it cannot keep them clean. Instead, he points them to Jesus for that. Because Jesus would come and He would baptize them in the Holy Spirit. That's where He says, I baptize in water, but one stands among you who you do not know. It is He who comes after Me, of whom I am not worthy to even untie the strap of His sandal. So John, he shocks them again. Because he's doing this, he's baptizing Jews. Very strange for them. But then he goes and he says this saying here, where he's not even worthy to untie the strap of this unknown Messiah, because Jesus hasn't been identified yet, of this person's sandal. Now, this is one of those sayings where sometimes in Scripture we, we read things that we're disconnected from. Okay, He says that he's not worthy to even untie the strap of his sandal. What does that even mean? Okay, Back then, so society had different things back then, right? Every... Every society is a little different. We have different customs, things like that. Well, to untie the strap was basically untying your, your sandals before you washed your feet. Okay. The lowest slave in the house would do it. That's who would untie the sandal for the master. If a teacher was, had, a, had one of his disciples do it, it would almost be like he was abusing them. Like he was taking advantage of them. Well, John says, of this duty, I'm not even worthy to do this little thing. I can't do that. I don't have enough honor to even do that. So who is this person that he's talking about? That's what these people would be thinking of, that John can't even untie his sandal? Something a low slave could do? John is being humble before the Son of Man. He's being awed before the Son of God. John knows who he's about to come across. He knows and he's bending the knee. He is giving honor to Christ. And what an honor that John had to be able to do that. To be able to see Him in the flesh and do these things. 
It's worth mentioning as we're reading these gospels, or this gospel, that the other gospels work hand in hand with them, almost like when you have an incident and you ask multiple incident uh, witnesses of what happened. So when you go into Matthew three thirteen through fourteen, it says of this, where John talked to Jesus and he said, "I have the need to I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me." John didn't even want to baptize him. He said, I need the baptism. You do it to me. John was completely humble in what was going on here. And after that, verse 29 here, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're reading this with the other Gospels, you'll think that there's something a little funny with this. But it's not next day as in the very next day. It's, it's as in the next time that he saw him. Because when we read this with the other Gospels, we know that this clearly happened after Jesus' baptism and after the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, which you would read in Matthew or Mark, I believe. <clears throat> so he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the significance of this happening right here? Of John saying this of Jesus right now in front of these people that he's baptizing? Jesus' ministry hasn't even started yet. And yet what we see here is that John has let the cat out of the bag. John has said, this guy here, he's here to take away sin. He's here to take away sin of the world. So we have here the solution for sin. John, John says this is what this man is going to do. People back then would have known what a lamb was for, especially, especially the Passover lamb. They would have known that they were talking about a sacrifice for sin. And they would have known that he is basically saying that this guy is going to die. And he said this at the very beginning before anything else ever happened. We have the whole ministry laid out right there. So John says, your sin is too much. Jesus is going to take yours and your neighbors and everyone else in the world. So every time that John shared Jesus, every time that we share Jesus, we're telling the world to behold, this is the one who can take away your sin. Uh, Verse 30 through 34 here. where it says, This is he in behalf of whom I said, After me is coming a man who has proved to be my superior because he existed before me, and I did not recognize him. But so that he would be revealed to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So once again, we see Christ spoken of as pre-existing before John for all things. And we see that John says that God gave me a sign that when the Spirit comes down on this person that I will know who the Christ is. That the Christ is present. 
But this is also a hint that the Holy Spirit is going to be forever bound in Jesus' ministry. Always a part of Jesus' ministry. So much that He's going to baptize all of us with Him. And that's actually kind of an interesting thing to think about as well when we look at these Scriptures, because they're setting a ground for us. But when did Jesus baptize? People will talk about that sometimes. Can you think of a Scripture where Jesus was baptizing anyone? There's not. There's not. And there's one that is semi-mistaken for it, but then clarified for about three or four verses later. Jesus does not baptize anyone in water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's something something kind of interesting in the Scriptures here that, that you don't always notice or perhaps wouldn't look for. Uh, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And that is always important because sometimes you will hear people say that you have to be baptized with water to be saved. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. And Jesus says that He will baptize with the Holy Spirit, not with water. 1 Corinthians 12.13 talks of that as well, where it says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were baptized into one body. So, here we see John the Baptist his ultimate purpose, and his ministry was not long because we're going to see where not too long from now he's going to be beheaded. But during his ministry, his ultimate purpose was not as a baptizer, even though that is part of his name, part of his title, but it was to witness of Christ and of his ministry. That's what John the Baptist's duties were. So in John the Baptist, we see humility, we see utmost humility before God. We see an urgency to spread the Gospel because as it said in Malachi there of that day of the Lord, everyone's day of the Lord is coming. One day, everyone's, everyone's day will come. Whether the Lord comes or whether you die. And we see that when you are called to do something in the name of the Lord, that you can face opposition. Your opposition might be different. It might not be your religious elite. It might be you. A lot of times it is us. I don't want to step out of my comfort zone because it makes me a little nervous, right? To say this to these people, to this person who needs to hear this. It might be family. It might be friends, you know. Maybe you don't want to be the, the Christian guy, the Christian weirdo out talking about Jesus to, to them might be your neighbors or somebody at work. But nevertheless, it's ours to tell people. Uh, we, you know, we talk about this a lot because it's so important. But it, it is our job to tell these people to behold that the Lamb of God is here, has come, and He takes away the sin of the world. Not just of the world, but their world too. 